The Bible reading today is from Romans chapter 15, verses 14 to 33. I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge and competent to instruct one another. Yet I have written to you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again, because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what God has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way round to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. But now there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I have been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and that you will assist me on my journey there after I have enjoyed your company for a while. Now, however, I am on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it and indeed they owed it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. So after I've completed this task and have made sure that they receive their contribution, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea and that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favourably received by the Lord's people there, so that I may come to you with joy, by God's will, and in your company be refreshed. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. Well, what does it look like to be on mission for Jesus? You might be aware that after Jesus had risen from the dead, he told his followers, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. So Jesus here is giving those who follow him a mission, a task, a goal. And that mission is to make disciples of all nations. Which means Jesus wants us to tell people from every nation about him so that they might become his disciples and start following him too. Now to tell people from all nations about Jesus, that's a pretty huge task. And it's a mission that was given to all of Jesus' followers, not just a special few. So if you are listening to this and you have put your trust in Jesus, know that Jesus has commanded you to go and make disciples of all nations, just like he has to me. But then that raises the question, what does that look like? What does it mean for you and I to obey that call to make disciples of all nations? I mean, does that mean that every single Christian ought to be an overseas missionary? 
Does it mean that if I'm really a follower of Jesus, I have to go, go gung-ho and um, go to the jungles of Africa with nothing but a machete and a Bible? And does it mean that if I'm not a missionary, that I'm just kind of a second-class Christian or just to be sitting on the sidelines? Well, today we're looking at a passage in the Bible that helps us answer that question. We're continuing in our series looking at the book of Romans. As we come closer to the end here in chapter 15, we get to listen in as Paul tells the Romans about his plans. And as we do, we get this rare insight into his way of thinking, his, his strategy, his priorities. And it has a lot to teach us about what it looks like to live on mission for Jesus today. So if you've got a Bible in front of you, open up to Romans 15 and we'll have a look at it together. We're going to look at this passage in two halves. Firstly, Paul's defense in verses 14 to 22. And then secondly, Paul's plans. So firstly, Paul's defense. Now right off the bat, you might be wondering, well, why would Paul need to defend himself? Why is he making this uh, defense? It might seem a bit strange. Um, but we have to appreciate two things. Firstly, Paul has just written a long letter to the Christians in Rome. I mean, we're looking at chapter 15 right now, so it's, it's quite a decent read. He's written a long letter, and secondly, he's never been there before. And that creates a bit of a complicated scenario. Because you see, in this long letter to the Romans, Paul has been addressing some pretty big stuff. I mean, to take a recent example, just last week we were looking at chapter 14, which is where Paul addresses some of the conflicts and tensions that in their church between the, the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians, and he, he calls them to accept one another. And you can imagine these Christians at Rome thinking, who does this guy think he is? He hasn't even been here, and he thinks he has the authority to tell us what to do? And that's kind of understandable, isn't it? I mean, think about your church. Now, no church is perfect. Uh, mine certainly isn't. So all of our churches uh, definitely have areas where we could grow. But it makes a difference where that message comes from, doesn't it? You can imagine some rando pastor from over east who's never even been to Perth, never mind been to your church. This rando sent your church a video message that he wanted to be played in front of everyone. And in it, he brings up some of the things that he thinks are going wrong in your church and what you should do about them. And, and these people have been disagreeing, need to stop that. I mean, you'd be thinking, who does he think he is? This guy's never even been here. What authority does he have to be speaking into our situation? And so that's the kind of dynamic going on here. And, and Paul gets this. He's aware how his letter might come across. So here he explains his reason for sending it. And he defends uh, his, him doing so in three ways. Firstly, he says this letter is not a rebuke, but simply a reminder. Have a look with me in your Bibles at verses 14 to 15. Paul says, I myself am convinced, brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. Yet, I've written to you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again. Now just notice how this frames his reason for sending the letter. Paul could have said, oh, look, you guys are a total mess. You've got no idea what you're doing. So I'm writing this letter to set you straight, give you the basics. But no, he doesn't do that at all. On the contrary, he says, you guys are full of goodness, complete in knowledge. You guys have got the gospel and you're beginning to live it out. I'm not writing new information to you, but 
I am reminding you of these important truths that you already know and encouraging you to keep walking in them. That's a totally different tone, isn't it? If some pastor over East wrote or sent a video message to encourage us like that, well, that's a completely different story. That's first, uh, Paul's first defense for sending this letter. It's not a rebuke, but a reminder. Then secondly, he reminds them that actually he does have authority to write to them because he's not just some rando. God has made him an apostle. Have a look with me at verses 15 to 16. It says, Yet I've written to you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again, because, here's the reason he can do it, because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He, God, gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God. Now the word Gentile simply means a non-Jew. Anyone who's not ethnically Jewish is a Gentile. And Paul's saying here that God has graciously appointed him to take the gospel to the Gentiles, out to the nations. And since Rome was filled with a lot of Gentiles, I mean, it was the largest city in the world at the time, that means God has given him authority to proclaim the gospel to them in Rome, even though he hasn't been there in person. So actually, he's not just some rando after all. That's his second defense uh, for his letter. He's not a rando, he's an apostle with authority from God. And thirdly, he explains why he hasn't visited them yet. Because they might have thought, well sure, he's an apostle, but I mean, he doesn't even care about us enough to visit us. I mean, Rome, we're the most important city, why hasn't he been here? So he actually ex he explains that actually he has been wanting to visit them, but has been unable to up until that point. Have a look in your Bibles with me at verses 19 to 22. Reading from verse 19, he says, So from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who are not told about him, about Jesus, will see. Those who have not heard will understand. This is why I've often been hindered from coming to you. So you see, the reason he's been unable to visit is because he's been focused on the regions where Christ wasn't known. Places unreached with the gospel. Because you see, there were already some Christians in Rome. I mean, he was writing to them, right? And so he couldn't afford to make the long journey to visit them over in Rome, a place that does have Christians, while so many other places didn't have any witness of the gospel at all. Here's a map of the Roman Empire in the first century AD. Uh, there's the Mediterranean Sea there and the boot of Italy in the middle, which of course is where Rome is. And down on the bottom right is Jerusalem, where Jesus was crucified and, and rose from the dead. And in verse 19, Paul says that he's been preaching the gospel, the news about Jesus' death and resurrection, from Jerusalem to Illyricum, which is the region highlighted there. Now, it's quite a large area. There are dozens of major cities, hundreds of smaller towns and villages, and a lot of those places had no Christians in them, which means they had no way of hearing the gospel. But Rome did have Christians in it, the people Paul's writing to. And so it wasn't as urgent that he got to Rome while so many people still hadn't heard. So that's his, his reason for doing so, but his plans are about to change. Have a look in your Bibles with me at verses 23 to 24. 
But now that there's no more place for me to work in these regions, Jerusalem to Illyricum, and since I've been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. So now he says he, he is planning to visit Rome because he's on his way to share about Jesus in totally new territory. He hopes to go to Spain, far to the west, where the gospel had not yet been preached at all, and to visit Rome on the way. Now this gives us a great insight into Paul's mind and his priorities. Firstly, it shows us just how committed and single-minded he is towards the goal of as many people as possible hearing about Jesus. And it also shows us something of how he thinks we can work towards that goal. Because think about it, in verse 23 he said, There is no more place for me to work in these regions, from Jerusalem to Illyricum. No more place, so I'm going to Spain. And if you think about it, that's a bit strange. No more place for him to work in the region between Jerusalem and Illyricum, really? I mean, there were still hundreds of thousands in, of people in those regions who still hadn't heard the gospel, even after it had been working there for a while. And Paul, you're saying there's no place for you to work here? I mean, surely there's lifetimes worth of work to be done spreading the gospel in those regions. So what's going on? What does he mean there's no more place for him there? Well, here's the thing. This, this is the way he's thinking. Paul knows there's work to be done there to spread the gospel in those regions, but not by him. You see, and this is huge, Paul's assumption is that the churches that he's, he and others have planted in those regions, from Jerusalem to Illyricum, will now evangelize their neighbors. That the Christians that have been established in those regions will now get to work at reaching their own people. And while they do that, he will go to Spain to plant more churches there where it's unreached. Now this has huge implications for thinking through what it looks like for you and me to live on mission for Jesus. Because this passage shows us that in Paul's mind, there are two ways that Christians can be engaged in God's mission. There are what we might call pioneers and planters. Pioneers and, and pillars, sorry. Uh, pioneers are those who go out to break new territory and, and take the gospel to unreached places. Missionaries like Paul going to Spain. But there are also pillars, Christians established in churches that seek to evangelize their own cities and act as a kind of foundation, a supporting base for those further afield. Christians like those in, in Rome and the other regions that, where churches have been established, Galatia, Ephesus, Philippi and many others. Now notice both are on mission. It's not like the pioneer missionaries are out there uh, spreading the news of Jesus and the others uh, just sit on the sidelines as a, as a kind of cheer squad. No, both pioneers and pillars are on mission, spreading the gospel of Jesus. They just do it in different places. Pioneers do it where there are no strong churches in unreached places. And the pillars do it where there are churches and seek to build up the church and evangelize their neighbors and colleagues and people in their own city. And this is so important to grasp. This is why Paul felt confident to leave these regions from Jerusalem to Lyricum behind, even though there was so much work to be done there. Because he was confident that the churches in those regions would be getting to work, sharing the gospel with their neighbours. So this is an important reminder for us. Just because we're not frontier missionaries, it does not mean that we're not part of God's mission. You and I have such an important role to play. Yes, we need to keep sending pioneer missionaries to unreached places, 
And I hope that some of you who are students now will be those future missionaries because the need is still great even in the 21st century. 41% of the people in this world are still unreached. But we also need people in Perth who are committed to spreading the news of Jesus here. Not passively, but actively. Strong pillars who are committed to God's mission and building up God's people. We need both pioneers and pillars. So be encouraged. You don't have to be a pioneer missionary to play a key role in God's plan for this world. But also be challenged. Ask yourself, are you playing the role God has given you? Do you see yourself as engaged on God's mission to reach Perth for Jesus? Are you seeking to make the gospel known to your friends and those around you? Are you using your uni years to get as well equipped as possible to be a pillar in your local church, both building up other Christians and bringing in those who don't yet know Jesus? Well, those are some big questions that we've all got to ask ourselves. Because this passage shows us that God wants to use us for so much more, even right here in Perth. We're the paratroopers God has dropped into enemy territory to accomplish his mission. We're the lamps that God has put in Perth to shine light into the darkness. We are the pillars who bring the gospel to our own communities. And some of us are pioneers who will go further afield. Okay, so we've seen Paul's defence, why he wrote this letter, even though he hadn't yet visited Rome, and some of his thinking behind that. Now let's have a look at Paul's plans. Paul now goes on to explain to the Romans his plans for the next stages of his missionary activity. Now I've already peeked ahead a little bit at his plan to go to Spain, but let's have a closer look at what's going on here. Now, Paul wrote this letter to the Christians in Rome in about the year 57 AD. And he wrote it from the city of Corinth in Greece. So uh, here's our map of the Roman Empire in the first century. And you can see Corinth there in the middle in Greece where Paul's writing from. And, and we'll come back to this. This will help us picture Paul's plans visually. So we'll come back to this map. But for now, have a look with me in your Bibles at verses 23 to 24. Where Paul tells the Romans what he's planning. Verse 23, uh, but now that there is no room for me to work in these regions, and since I've been longing for many years to visit you in Rome, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and that you will assist me on my journey there. Now, however, so first, I'm on my way to Jerusalem in service of the Lord's people there. For Macedonia and Achaia, and that's the churches in those regions like Corinth and Philippi and Thessalonica, those churches were pleased to make contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. So, now this is interesting. Before he visits Rome on the way to Spain, he's actually heading in the opposite direction to Jerusalem. Because the churches um, had, had contributed to a gift to help some of the poor Christians in Jerusalem. And Paul wants to deliver uh, this donation. There's important reasons for him wanting to do that. He's seeking not just to help them materially, but to build unity among the Christians there. Now, once he's done that, verse 28, he says, So, after I've completed this task and have made sure that they've received this contribution, then I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. 
So to sum his plans up and give you a visual picture of it, here's our map again with Paul writing this letter from Corinth. First, he's going to go to Jerusalem to deliver the gift, then to visit Rome, spend some time with them, and receive some support, and finally, on to the unreached people of Spain. Now, of course, nowadays you could make this trip in a matter of hours. Well, at least you could have before all the flights were locked down. Um, but back then in Paul's day, it was a long and dangerous journey to do this. It could take weeks or months. And in fact, as we know from the book of Acts, which records many of Paul's missionary movements, it's a journey that actually ended up taking Paul years just to get to Jerusalem and then back to Rome as a prisoner. Uh, but there we have in a nutshell Paul's missionary plans. And what's really interesting to note in this passage is the role that Paul hopes the Romans will have in his plans. I'm not sure if you noticed that as we read through. Because Paul is no lone wolf. And we know this because Paul asks for support from the Christians at Rome in at least three ways in these verses that we've just been looking at. And this is really instructive for us as we think about how we can support pioneer missionaries today. Okay, so the first kind of support Paul hopes for is financial. Have a look in your Bibles with me at verse 24. It says, I plan to visit you when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and that you will assist me on my journey there after I've enjoyed your company for a while. Now the key word here is assist, that you'll assist me. Uh, the Greek word being translated as assist here is a technical word used to refer to practical and financial support for a journey. So Paul's going to need somewhere to stay while he's in Rome. He'll need help to prepare for the next leg of his journey. And he'll need financial support. So even though the Roman Christians can't all pack up and go to Spain themselves, that just wouldn't work. But no, they can actually still play a key strategic role in the spread of the gospel to break that new ground. And of course, we see the same principle reflected in the way we support pioneer missionaries today. Supporting missionaries financially is one key way that you and I can help the gospel break new ground around the world. So it's the first kind of support we see here, financial support. And the second is support in prayer. Have a look with me in your Bibles at verses 30 to 31. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea, and that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favorably received by the Lord's people there. Now, that is striking language, isn't it? He says, join me in my struggle. It's the language of, of wrestling. Join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. You know, as a pioneer missionary, Paul faced a lot of struggles, open persecution at times, being thrown in jail, or pelted with rocks, but, but also more subtle struggles. I mean, loneliness, uncertainty, isolation. And he wants the Christians at Rome to join him in, in this struggle. How? Not by joining him physically on the front lines, but by praying for him. Clearly, here is a man who's experienced firsthand the power of answered prayer. I think this seeing the way Paul talks about it changes we look at the way we look at a simple thing like an emailed prayer update from a missionary. It means that as we read it and devote even a short time to pray for that missionary, we are joining with them in their struggle and making a concrete difference in their ministry 
through answered prayer. So it's a great encouragement for us to keep praying. Okay, so we've seen financial support, we've seen prayer support, and finally, relational support. Now, to be honest, of the three, I think this is the one I least expected, especially from a you know pretty tough guy like Paul. But, but have a look at where we see this in the passage. Romans 15, 24. I hope to see you while passing through and that you'll assist me on my journey there after I've enjoyed your company for a while. Now, if all, if all he needed was prayer and finances, then there'll be no need to spend time in Rome. I mean, just drop off, uh, pick up his check, drop off his prayer bulletin, and off he could go. But no, he says he wants to stay and enjoy their company for a while first, to be encouraged by his fellow believers. Or check out verse 32. Pray uh, that I may come to you with joy by God's will and in your company be refreshed. You know, it's as if he's been out there in the desert, he's tired, he's worn out, he's thirsty. And by coming and spending time with the Roman Christians, he'll be refreshed, rejuvenated, restored. Because reality is, when you're out there in the trenches in unreached territory, where the gospel hasn't been preached and there aren't strong churches, it can feel like you're on your own. It can be lonely, discouraging, disheartening. I once spent about a month in a Somali village on a short-term mission trip with two other guys from uni. Apart from the three of us, every single person in that village was a Muslim. In fact, even the missionary who brought us there actually didn't stay with us. He just dropped us off, uh, left us on our own and came back a month later to pick us up. So it was just me and these two other young blokes. And now it was, it was a difficult month filled with a lot of uh, challenges. Uh, but in addition to the physical hardships we faced, we couldn't believe how spiritually difficult it was. It felt so isolating not to have other Christians around. I mean, I remember after we left the village after that month, the, the first time we were able to visit the church again, we were all surprised how refreshed we felt to be around our brothers and sisters in Christ. I mean, it was, it was palpable and we suddenly realised that it had been so isolating during that time. I mean, we'd only been there for a single month. Imagine how frontline pioneer missionaries must feel who have been in those kind of situations for years. And, you know, think about it. The Apostle Paul, he's a pretty tough guy. But if even he needed this relational support from the Roman Christians, how much more do you think our mission partners need it from us today? The missionaries we send out from our churches today don't... Uh, need just prayer and finances, although those are important, but encouragement as well. You see, not every Christian will be a pioneer missionary. I hope a number of us here at Christian Union will be and will go to unreached nations with the gospel. But for those of us who stay, we're not just on the sidelines. Because firstly, we can be actively supporting the pioneers in finances, prayer and relational support. And secondly, as pillars planted in local churches, we're the ones who will bring the gospel to the many people in Perth who don't yet know Jesus. The people in our lecture rooms, in our workplaces, and in our neighbourhoods. Well, what's it look like to be on mission for Jesus? Well, it doesn't mean that we all need to be overseas missionaries. 
But it does mean that all of us, every Christian, is called to be actively engaged in sharing the gospel and making Jesus known. For some of us, that might be overseas as pioneers in other countries. For others, it'll be here in Perth as pillars of God's church, actively engaged in helping others know Jesus. Now, I hope that that raises some questions for you, and we'd love you to join us for Q&A over Zoom after this, and I'll have my best shot at addressing any questions you might have. The link's going to pop into the comments section, and I hope to see you there shortly.